1: real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: I'm Sarah Wilson and this is WILD a show where we talk with the biggest minds in the world about the ideas that can help us love and save our one wild and precious life together on this planet. Right, well, today's episode is a bit of a strange one. It's more of a sharing of a wild, glorious, very human, life-affirming story, but I feel it's one that has to be shared. Some of you would have read my book, This One Wild and Precious Life, and if you haven't, well, what's it say on the cover? It's A Path Forward in a Fractured World or something like that. Anyway, it goes through the clusterfuck that is the climate crisis... COVID pandemics, the fragmentation happening around the world, et cetera, et cetera. I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to buy it. Okay. So if you have read it, you'd know that sprinkled throughout, I have a number of different random interactions with wonderful people around the world. Maria Shriver, David Wyatt, the wonderful poet, the lady in red in Slovenia, who I managed to hunt down via a complex series of Facebook messages and Google Map drop pinning. And I interviewed her on this podcast some time back. And again, I'll put the link for that interview in the bio. Now, there was another random character that I was really curious to hunt down who I met while I was writing the book. And many of you have requested that I do so as well. There's an odd adventure in the book where I find myself in Mammoth in Sierra Nevada in California. And I have one of those moments where I'm sitting next to someone drinking a whole heap of beverage in plastic, single use plastic stuff. And I give him one of my rants about living in such a way. He was a young guy and he asked to read some of my manuscript that I was mucking around with. I was sitting at the cafe doing some writing. It was the chapter on the climate crisis. So a really big one. He sat there for about an hour. It was during his lunch break. He worked at the cafe and he told me he thought it was okay, but asked me to put it into dot points. I said, all right, I'll do that, but let's do a deal. I'll do the dot points if you quit that stinking single-use plastic habit, and we shook hands on it. Now, I did the dot points. I kept up my end of the bargain in the book, but did he? Okay, so I tasked Liana, who works with me a day, a week or so on this podcast, to help me track him down. I used a photo from Instagram where you could just make out the signage of the cafe, and Liana contacted the cafe, I think via Facebook, and she described Mammoth Dude to the cafe owner. She wrote back, that's Avi. And Avi, as it turns out, didn't just quit plastic. He quit consumption and capitalism altogether and now lives in a forest in a trailer with his dog. And what do you know, he'd also read my book, which was all very fun and excellent. Now it took a few weeks for him to come into town and get the message that I was trying to find him. And finally we connected and well, the chat with me sitting in Sydney in lockdown and him in his car in the forest with his dog was absolutely lovely. Now to add to the adventure and to give insight into just how annoying I am. We recorded during COVID, as I say, when I was in lockdown, but the files got lost at my former producer's end. I would not give up on the idea of getting this guy onto the podcast. And so months of my insisting that we just dig around one last time, proved fruitful, and the files were eventually found. So We end up talking about how the pandemic shifted thinking on capitalism in the US, but not so much in Australia. And that might seem like an old conversation, but I think it's actually still quite timely. We also talk the idea of leaning forward towards a stranger and also accommodating annoying people. That would be me. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. It's very special. And it was a reminder for me of, I guess, the imperative, the importance of, of leaning forward to a stranger and being a little bit wild and prioritizing connection at all times. I hope you enjoy. So anyone listening here, we probably should give some background to how we met. And I'm just going to tell you, how I think it happened. And then can you just, yeah, just yeah. and tell me? Tell me <laughs> yeah. I went to Mammoth and it was on this ridiculous trip where I was meant to be going off to do a vision fast for five days where I didn't eat anything. And I had to survive in the desert on my own with a tapau and, and water. And that's it for five days. My visa didn't come through in time, but my flight did and I had a hire car booked. So I just went you know what? I'm just going to go anyway, peak season. I'm going to see if I can get onto one of the trails nearby. So I missed the vision fast and I went off, landed at Mammoth after, you know, sort of landing in 5.30 in the morning into LA, driving straight up to Mammoth. And I went to a secondhand store to go and buy some warm clothes. Um, I sort of bought an oversized men's shirt and some um, (laughs) Some warm pants and I thought, you know, I'll head off. And I got a bear canister and I was about to head off and I went to a vegan cafe on the main street.
0: called Called Stellar Brew.
2: There we go. And it was very, very of the moment of the town. And from memory, I ordered a smoothie and I got it in a big coffee cup because it was only takeaway containers. So I got it into a coffee cup, like a crockery one. And I was sitting outside and you
0: were sitting nearby on your lunch break. It was... You are using that big yellow mug. That's it. You remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a soup I remember box. that. Uh, in a smoothie. I don't think anyone's ever used a mug for a smoothie.
2: Wow. Was great. So basically, you, know, you sat down um, and you said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm writing this book. And I said, sort of climate. And I gave you some printouts that I'd had. And you read them while you are on your lunch break. And I uh, yeah. remember you said to me, hey, listen, this is great, but it's like pretty full-on information could you put it into dot points? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll put it in dot points if you quit drinking beverages from plastic containers because I think yeah. you can do in a plastic cup and a coffee as well. That was the extent of our conversation, and I think we shook hands on it or we disagreed to it, and I walked away. I ended up writing the book, and I stuck. Did you read the bit in the book where I go, mammoth dude, here's your dot <laughs> points? <laughs> yeah,
0: I got that. Honestly, it was that I loved that part.
2: So I I then just, you know, the book's been out for a bit. It's been out in the States now for what, six, seven months. And I thought, I'm going to go and see if Mammoth Dude stuck to his end of the bargain. I went back and looked at my Instagram post of the smoothie in the yellow cup and then I looked at the cafe, then I looked up the cafe on, in, online and wrote to the <laughs> and said, do you remember there's this guy and I don't know what his name was but we talked about climate and she said, that's Arby. So connected you and I. Yeah. So I was very keen to know if you stuck to your half of the bargain. So tell me what happened. And I should just say for anyone who's not watching this on the video, you're currently sitting in a car with your dog. What's going on there?
0: Background. We actually moved, me and my dog moved to the forest to permanently essentially be off grid. Obviously we don't get phone service there. So we drove into town to get phone service and um, it's actually pouring rain right now. (laughs) So here we are in town. But anyways, so it was actually after that summer that we met that I decided, because I was living in my car at the time we were talking. So and then I actually ended up buying a trailer and living in forest land. And one of the first things I noticed of living off grid is the amount of garbage you consume. And every time you consume the garbage, it means you have to go into town and throw it out. You know, honestly, that was the biggest kind of, wake up call with these single use things, because I mean, I prefer not to go into town as much as possible. So it was really kind of a challenge to me. How little garbage can I consume? You know, because I remember at the beginning, it was every day creating, you know, a, a shopping cart bag, of garbage, and then you know, trying to get it down to once a week, only needing it. But yeah, so uh I'm definitely I'm very conscious about my garbage use. Less so about, I mean, they're related. Single use plastic and garbage is related, but it's I'm very focused on the amount of garbage I create, which is awesome.
2: What are you down to now? So you're living in the cabin, or you're living in your car still?
0: You're living no. In- so I have a trailer I built up. We drop it in the woods and we move around. And in Mammoth Lakes, there's a lot of free camping around here.
2: Right. So what amount of plastic or garbage are you producing at the moment?
0: So right now, it's very hard for me to shop in a grocery store looking for things that are not going to produce. It's kind of like, you know, I'm thinking a lot about the amount of food versus the garbage that produces it. You know, you get like one bag for, you know, say eight hamburger buns is not worth it. For me, you know, the most garbage I get is from the grocery store items that I have to buy, which yeah, is quite frustrating because there's at a certain point, there's no way, way around it.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we live in the world, but there are things we can do. And the thing is, if you get into this mindset, you then start to gamify. You actually yeah. have to start all the covert ways mm-hmm. to dodge it. I mean, there's a bulk food store in Mammoth because I went there. And stocked up. There is, yeah. So that's a really big difference. I mean, you can't buy in bulk and you can't because you haven't got a lot of room, I guess, but you know, you're only one person. So I suppose you can find somewhere to put your food. Yeah, there are ways and means. I mean, I've reduced my supermarket consumption down to frozen peas. It's my guilty indulgence. (laughs) And I've got family packs and then the bag becomes my bin liner. So at least it gets a second use, I suppose. Yeah, really the supermarket, i buy yogurt for my my foster kid and we go to the supermarket probably once a fortnight, which Mm -hmm. I don't think use that word in america so it's once it's every two, two weeks.
0: weeks right yeah yeah, okay. <laughs> <Not> <laughs> yeah i've read it in books before but yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. everything else is in bulk food store and i take my own bags to the bulk food store you know so right? kind of cut yeah from, and then everything else is from the fresh produce store and when you cook you don't need that much stuff from plastic so yeah yeah it was only a couple of years ago that we met, not even. It was right at it's the end of writing. the book. Cause I was, I'd almost finished writing the book. I was just going home. Then the bushfires happened and then COVID yeah. happened, Black Lives Matter happened. So it was just before yeah. all of, all of that. God, can you imagine if we knew? I was sort of trying to work it all out and make sure that my book was on the right track. So I was probably a little bit rude in terms of telling you <laughs> What are you drinking? You work in this cafe. You can use a cup as well. Why are you using plastic? Can I just ask this? Like, because Liana, who works with me and set up this call, asked yeah, yeah. me, what did he think when you said that? Because, you know, most people aren't as bolshy as I am. What did you think? Like, I'm intrigued to know because I've got a captured audience here
0: you know what? It's, you know, that leaning forward concept you used in your book. Yeah. That was it where I'm like, you know what? She's kind of annoying with the plastic things, but she's leaning forward. I'd rather talk to someone who's leaning forward than someone who's kind of, you know, and I think that was kind of what got me to communicate with you. Because I mean, I think it's more important to have these conversations than it is to prove that you're right or wrong, you know? Yeah. And I mean, uh, it was, it was just kind of, you know, the situation where you're in front of a coffee shop and, you know, what do you do? Do you scroll on your phone? Do you sit there and just kind of, you know, waste away the time that you have? You were clearly keen to have a conversation, which is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I definitely, you know, I did the eye roll of the, you know, of the modern hippie. Was I, I'm the modern hippie or you? You're, you're the, the modern know. hippie, yeah.
2: Oh, dude who lives in a car out in a forest. <laughs> <laughs> the okay, got it. <laughs>
0: But yeah, dude, it was really nice. And honestly, it's so funny because in the past two weeks, I've seen your book around with other people. You're famous. I didn't know you were famous.
2: (laughs) Go that far. My God, I've just got to point out to anyone not seeing the video, Bobby's dog is actually currently just got his head propped in the shoulder, staring at the camera. Just checking things out. <laughs> yeah, all right. That's good to know people are reading the book around the joint.
0: Yeah, even in Mammoth. At this point, is this an Australian book or is it more of a global kind of... Oh,
2: it's come out. I mean, it came out in Australia then shortly after. I did a joint deal with my US and Australian publishers. Oh, nice. Okay, yeah. cool. And it's out in the UK, um, Africa and a few other places as well.
0: Gosh, you talk so much about this in the book where you're reading someone else and you're like, they... Man, I wish I had highlighted it. You're like, it's frustrating how much they know about me when they're writing that book. And, you know, especially me living in the woods with my dog, you know, this kind of isolating. And it was kind of strange how you could have written this before COVID, you know, because it was just so applicable to what happened this past year that, I mean, I just don't know if if people would have read into this or be interested in this. I mean, was that kind of where you thought about that when you finally published it?
2: I think that once COVID hit, I actually felt far more confident about publishing the book because I went, okay, great. People are going to get this. And in fact, when I went back to rewrite it, as I described in the book, I felt... I had permission to go even harder in messaging of disconnect and where neoliberalism fits in and all of that kind of thing. But it's funny, I mean, I see COVID as just another expression of everything that I was feeling as a modern hippie. (laughs) It's been there for me for 10 years. And for a lot of people, I mean, this pandemic was predicted by climate scientists 10, 15 years ago. Everything that's been sort of predicted by the climate scientists has has happened, but earlier. So that's the only surprise from my point of view is that all of these things, I mean, I was writing about how climate scientists are saying we're going to have rolling pandemics and everything else. And then, of course, it happened. So, yeah, I mean, my friends all said to me, just get the book to the publisher because, like, all these disasters were happening. They just said, get it there because it seems to be an omen. (laughs) Like, aliens will land. You did not get this book to the publishers. I mean, for you, what saw you end up living in your car in mammoth or and now in a trailer. Like is this something that you did by design or is it are you forced into it by circumstances? Is it yeah. a choice? What is it?
0: So it's definitely a choice. It's an act against capitalism, number one.
2: Why the hell were you drinking stuff out of plastic? Like a multi-corporation's beverage when your cafe actually made smoothies from scratch and you bought one from the fridge what the hell were you doing that for why were you buying into that when you're doing an act
0: against that, capitalism that was the um is this the right word apathy i didn't really care right you know
2: yep i mean that's awesome. um,
0: i think the idea of going into the woods was the first step and then Starting to rely on myself, starting to see how much garbage I produce, starting to see how easy it is to set up a solar system, how easy it is to run on propane instead of, you know, any of this gas and stuff. It's just kind of I think it's hard for people to get that initial start, you know. And then once you start seeing how easy it is to not rely on this kind of capitalist power grid, essentially, yeah. of consumption and then, you know, destroy, and then consumption and then destroy. It uh, you know, it kind of it kind of gets easier. You now and you kind of feel good about it. It's quite addictive,
2: isn't it? Like I said before about the gamification, you start to feel very alive and agile and you start to move in this way, and at first it feels like it might be extra effort to work out
0: how to use the bulk food store. and so mm-hmm.
2: on. but then it just you realize how much time you save.
0: yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, capitalism's a game that, you know, I think it's frustrating for them that some people are starting to leave the game and they have to come up with new ways to get us back in. Um, Coca-Cola bottles out of recycled plastic
2: and they're, the advertising campaign has bees in it. I mean, honestly, yeah. No, they're, joined, they're joining us, but they're going to have to play by our rules.
0: Yeah. I mean, is it frustrating, though, that we needed a, you know, a, a pandemic or something like that to kind of awaken people to capitalism? I mean, are they awake? You know, do you think it hasn't woken people up around you? I think it has in my small mountain town because I don't know if big cities had it better during the pandemic, but we were left on our own. You know, all these small towns, you know, these small businesses that are supposed to be for the people fired everyone, you know, all these small businesses that, you know, try and check and to make sure that you're a loyal employee and you're going to stay with us for a number of years. We'll drop you in a second as soon as, you know, something bad happens. And I think that's kind of where a lot of my friends out here saw it. There were already a lot of people living in vans and trailers and off grid, but it it definitely boomed a lot of the people who had rent in Mammoth, you know, because at the time it was March. So winter was ending. So it was very easy to go back into a van. Um, I think a lot of people kind of saw that opportunity. And that summer, there were a lot of people who just gave up on their rent and moved out to the woods. Wow. But you don't have that opportunity when you're stuck in the middle of L.A. You know, you don't have this opportunity to drop your rent, spend $5,000 on a trailer and then move, you know, three miles away. No.
2: But then again, yeah, I mean, we have a very different circumstances, uh, set of circumstances in Australia because we actually got what was called job keeper Allowance. So people were paid, you know, if they lost their job or, well, essentially employers got paid money to keep. Mm-hmm. Staff on the books doing nothing. Yep. So we've got a very different system here, and landlords couldn't kick people out if they couldn't afford their rent. There's a whole range of different provisions put in, and we're in, I'm in lockdown at the moment. I've gone across the right, Right, right. you were saying that. Yeah, so we're sort of doing a bunch of these things. But we didn't get the same harsh landing as I think the states got, and so we didn't get that wake-up call. And I don't know if you recall the line in my book where it goes, only a crisis produces real change. And it's a quote from Milton Friedman, who's the founder Mm -hmm. of neoliberalism, of modern capitalism, ironically enough. But he sort of is known for this quote. And then the second part of the quote is, but the change will depend on the ideas lying around at the time. So I think the ideas that were lying around in the States as COVID hit was a whole bunch of torment, despair. You know, you've probably read the statistics I cite in the book as to the despair in America with young people and, you know, the the life expectancy dropping three years in a row because people are killing themselves at Mm -hmm. such an extent. So that's what was lying around. And so there's this thing. And then, of course... The Trump election happened at the end of, well, yeah. at the peak of COVID. A lot of this stuff caused Americans to have a really good hard look. It'll be interesting to see what happens over the next
0: 12 months. Are you working? I do online tutoring now. Okay. I've always done some online tutoring. Um, it kind of got easier to find people during COVID. Yeah. Just because, I mean, everyone needed an online tutor. I got him at six weeks. He was a COVID puppy, but essentially he was... I put like 99% of my time into training him just because I think it was that, that, you know, lack of connection. I've been in a number of relationships, you know, I'm 31. So, I mean, I don't think I've had a lot of life experience, but I've had enough to know that relationships for me are not, you know, kind of my end goal, which I think it was for a lot of my life was the end goal of finding a relationship. And he kind of eased me into the notion of, you know, There doesn't need to be, you know, a female in my life, you know, that matches up with me. I kind of get a a connection from him. You know, it it does make me feel a little less of that disconnection that you're talking about. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
2: you're living in the woods on your own with your dog. Do you have loneliness? Yes.
0: How's a it- um, I, I think, I, I think what you talked about, I think subconsciously, I definitely uh, tried to run away from people and that disconnect. I, I felt it so strong that I'm like, fuck it. I'll just leave everyone. It is a little easier to deal with problems that I'm alone. You know, it gets lonely. How does it
2: I- feel lonely? What do you feel like? What does it look like, feel like when you're in a
0: lonely moment? Well, you know what? It's not as uncomfortable as my usual look because I'm surrounded by nature. You know, at the end of the day, when I'm lonely, I'll sit outside in my hammock and read a book, you know. So I definitely have solutions for that loneliness, but I have to kind of find them and seek them out, you know, instead of kind of just being surrounded by roommates and relying on them to it's hard. But I think, uh, like you said, you know, when there's crisis, you kind of look for the solutions a little bit harder.
2: Do you like hard rather than apathetic?
0: Yeah, I, I feeling necessary is more important. I just, oh man, I feel so cheesy. Literally, I've been quoting your book to everyone. I'm sorry, just, <laughs> I'm sorry to all you. And now I'm quoting it back to you. <laughs> I hope I'm not, just, uh, but yeah, no, the feeling necessary is more important than anything else. You know, and I think looking for things that are that are making me feel necessary are helping more than, you know, looking for things to engage with other people, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, you're 31, quite a bit younger than me. And, you know, this is the time where you're meant to be, you know, going to what your second career or something, you know, and doing this and that, probably yeah. starting to settle down, think about kids, setting yourself up for all that kind of thing. Is there a side of you that feels, I don't know, does... I feel surreal at times that I have taken a different path and I've consciously done it. And it's it's mm-hmm. not what everyone else did. For you, I mean, how does it feel to be reassessing everything that you were told you were meant to do and you're kind of doing
0: it differently? How does it feel in the moment? In the moment, it feels great. But recently over Passover, I went down to Los Angeles. I saw my brother and his family. I saw my parents. I lasted 36 hours. And I had to book it back to Mammoth. Um, And as soon as I get back to nature, as soon as I get back to, you know, kind of the mountains and the space, I 100% approve of my decisions. But when I'm involved in that kind of society, it pulls you in. You feel stuck in there. And literally the only way I'm like, I'm leaving and we drove out. So I think I don't feel as bad when I'm alone. But with the external pressure, it's very easy to feel like I made a mistake.
2: How are you going to know that dance going forward, because we have to still be in the world. You know, you still got to buy your frozen and, you know, whatever it is. I know. you still got to go to Passover and do um, you by your mum.
0: See, I, I avoid things like that. You know, I hadn't seen my parents and my brother and sister in years when I finally went. And it was all I had expected, but even worse. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. That's something that, you know, I have to work on. I mean, how do you do it? Do you have siblings? I've got five younger sisters, very
2: close to them. Mum and dad, I moved out of home pretty young and I've lived away from everyone and I come back in and I last around about 36 hours myself before I have to leave. Yeah, I do describe it as a dance. I say it in the book. I'll quote myself back at you now. You know, I love humanity, but I don't necessarily love the humans. (laughs) Yeah and that's not a judgement that's a reflection of of me and my patience i think as a woman it's quite an interesting thing to go through is to decide to not have children to decide to live on the road to decide not to need a man to feel anchored and so on. But does that mean I don't crave it? Yeah, I crave the biological guts of all of that. Well, really, what it boils down to, I crave the intimacy. But, you know, there's ways and means of getting that. But again, you've got to navigate your own path. As Virginia Woolf says, a woman who chooses the dark side of the sword, it means her life will be, I mean, she's essentially choosing interesting and perilous. And it is perilous because you've got to be alive. It's a bit like living in the woods, right? You've got to be on to things. Is it going to rain? Is there going to be a thunderstorm? What do I need to do? You can't just kind of come inside, lock the door and, and turn on Netflix and, and all is good. Yeah. It's the same with me. <laughs> Everything I do, I've just got to consciously be aware of whether I'm getting enough contact with other people, how to mm-hmm. contact people, how do I interact, how to explain my interactions to people. How do I apologize for leaning forward to strangers in cafes and give them a lecture about their uh, their eating habits? I
0: choose. Do you find that exhausting?
2: I only find it exhausting when I feel I'm not allowed to and then I've got to put on the brakes. Putting on the brakes is more exhausting than expressing, right? So my question to you for earlier was, do you prefer hard or apathetic? I way yeah. prefer hard. I do. I love hard. I love rising to it. I love my my muscles kicking into gear. I love going to the edge, being a bit scared. I'm a very reserved person. I'm not naturally somebody who goes and uh, talks loudly in public places. Yeah. I'll lean forward into a scary space because that's the thing I love. So, yeah, I, I suppose, yeah, choosing perilous has become something that I prefer to do rather than being apathetic, ascetic, you know, the flaccid dude on the couch. So it is an active choice, but it does feel surreal and it does feel like I'm out there on my own at times, you know. So what are you going to do? What's
0: next? (laughs) (laughs) What's next? I don't know. I have no clue. I do. um, I don't know. The problem is that this forest down here is so nice, but uh, the fires here. They're already starting to get bad. It's hard to think long term when you have wildfires on the West Coast. So now is Australia going to be in a, are, are, are you guys having a wildfire kind of every year now? Or was this past year something completely, you know, it was a huge anomaly, never again?
2: Oh, no. Nice. Um, well, these fires were predicted as well, but not for a couple okay. of years. So Fair, yeah. I didn't expect the fires to be so bad. Three billion uh, wildlife were killed in those fires. But, yeah, it's... uh I think off the back of the floods in Germany, you know, this summer the fires happening in the U.S., incredible temperatures in Portland and then Death Valley. The discussion at the moment now is this is all happening way faster than even the IPCC scientists predicted. And so the modelling I think that's going to come out in the next IPCC report is going to be even scarier and more alarmist. And so this is going to be regular. These kinds of occurrences we'd have once a like a, um, a century will probably now have yeah, and- times a year, you know, around the world. And yeah, this yes. is the new reality. We're going to be not so much trying to fix climate change. We're going to have to learn to adapt. That's where we're at now. We're at that fork in the road moment where unless we put our skates on and everyone goes into that kamikaze mode, like we're mm. going to chuck everything at this. This is an emergency. This is a crisis. And I don't see that happening. I just don't see it. I don't think our cognitive dissonance will allow us to see it. And so instead, I think what will happen is people, we're going to have to start to adjust. It's inevitable that we'll reach three degrees above pre-industrial levels by 2050. Right, right, right. And life is very, very different at three degrees above, exceedingly different. So animals will be dead extinct and there'll be situations like yourself where people won't be able to live in
0: the woods start you know i mean the whole the whole time you're talking i'm thinking about your examples of you know world war one and world war two where it was so easy to get people to come together Mm -hmm. and fight this thing but i just don't think now i don't think we have that connection and we need conversations like this to get people back to looking for a connection, you know?
2: Says the guy living in a van out in the forest in his own, avoiding his family.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is terrible to say. I, You know what? It's easier to say, at least I'm not hurting the environment. At least I'm not using gas and coal. Mm. You know, I'm using solar. That's kind of where I am because I do have some, you know, I'm on medication. I have a lot of anxiety, depression. I'm dealing with a lot. And um, this is a start, I think. You know, I think... Like you're saying, 31, I think it's old, obviously, you know, I have a lot more life to live. But this is a start, you know, of kind of being conscious about it. But it makes me feel good that at least I'm not hurting, you know, or at least I'm not contributing to it. I talk to a lot of people with anxiety, depression, where they think, you know, like, at least I'm not hurting someone else. You know, it's easier to hurt myself. But yeah, I don't think that I'm there yet to be able to help out. That's an appropriate answer. Like you know. Is it? Yeah, I think so. I think that you need
2: to do both. You need to pulse between the two. And so if at the moment you're getting the strength inwardly to then be able to go outwards, you know, the monkey comes down from the mountain type thing, then that is noble if you have as your ultimate goal to actually serve and to be necessary. And a big style for anxiety and depression is the sense of being necessary. I think a lot of the despair comes about from the fact that a lot of people don't feel necessary. I feel like a cog yeah. a cog in the system. And so I would, from my pulpit here in Sydney, um, in, <laughs> in lockdown, I would advise, although as somebody who's been in the same space and, you know, gone to the depths of it all, I would say, you know, start to think about ways of being necessary because that will also lift you out of your own funk. Yeah. And it's actually, yep. as well as nature, activism for me are the two things that have saved my arse. Like They're the two things that keep me vibrant, keep me necessary, keep me surging forward, leaning forward, and being the person I need to be to feel fully alive. And so yeah. I would say that the activism piece is so helpful. It really is. Yeah. And it's an outlet. You know that the deer that jerks back online, he comes out of the freeze state The deer will die and be eaten by the tiger unless it jerks back online. And activism doesn't have to be out there with placards. Activism is just being, is stepping forward into humanity and sharing what you have and be able to move the dial in a certain direction towards, I don't know, reconnecting, you know? So you're in a position now where I'm talking to you. What would you like to share with people? How could you be necessary right now? What would be a message you'd want to share with anyone listening, perhaps from their lounge room feeling like, oh God, how unreal would it be to be living that? in the woods, lying in a hammock, reading a book when, you know, when you get lonely?
0: I'd say I have convinced already a few people to live this life. Yeah. I'm not I'm not quiet about how much I love my life. So I push solar a lot. But the big thing that I would love to do, because I grew up on the East Coast outside of New York City. My father was finance, you know, my brother and sister are finance. Animals and pets, dirty. Why would you bring animals into your house? You know, like that is the opposite of what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be organizing and cleaning up society and getting rid of all this dirty trees and dirty animals. And, you know, I think I, I got him at 29, you know, I, was, I it's crazy. I waited that long to connect with an animal. I think I want to push dogs into essentially children's lives. Okay. I think that, I think it's so important to engage with something that you don't communicate with like a human, you know, have you seen that movie? My octopus teacher. Yes. So, you know, this whole idea of like how he can only talk to that octopus in a, in a human perspective, you know, and it's kind of frustrating that he's putting all these human ideas on the octopus. And I think it's, once you have a dog or you have a cat or something, and you start to realize my ways of communication don't work with everything, you know, and I think as humans, where we kind of isolate ourselves with each other as the only species we interact, we we get very egotistical. I know how to communicate. my mouth is the only way i'm I'm communicating, you know, but anyways, I'm going on a rant because I love dogs now. I think it's it's very frustrating I take well, what.
2: I take from that that you're suggesting that one way of reconnecting with life is to actually not just see everything through the singular human lens, the rational lens, which has landed us in a lot of trouble. That didactic, binary, fragmented sort of thinking is not serving us. And I agree, you know, be able to shift to another perspective, i.e. getting down at a level where you can communicate with a dog in their world is the wonderful shift, you know, do what you're not doing so that you're
0: not doing exactly
2: and i think there's lots of scope for that all right i reckon that's a great way to be necessary i wish you all the best with the journey so much it sounds really awesome and it sounds brave and it sounds necessary
0: thank you dude i really appreciate your book it's really helpful well i'm just stoked that the deal we
2: made we both stuck to our end of the bargain like on steroids (laughs) I love it.
0: Honestly, the, I think I think the bullet points are great. Honestly, <laughs> I think you put it in the right spot. Was that the part that I was reading at the coffee shop?
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm a woman it's of so weird, and clearly so are you. Cause like the whole plastic thing, was it a precursor of some sort? Did it actually make you go like, did it play into this commitment you've made?
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, America, we're a very apathetic country. We don't care. My question to you, was it hard to find forward-leaning people in America compared to other countries?
2: I think as a tourist with an Australian accent and I'm sort of the weird old lady that sort of rocks up into town, I can generally play with it. If I was an old dude, I think it would be different. Or if I was a young woman, I think it would be different. No, I have found incredible forward-leaning people in the States incredible. Awesome. I find my tribe around the world and they're easily yeah. American as they might be French or German or South African or whatever it might be. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of my my crew in the States, you know, and they're that leaning forward phrase from Martha Beck, who's an American. Mm-hmm. And she, told, she said that to me. She said, you look really? so far forward it hurts. And I could tell from your email. And that was <laughs> why I was your age. I went and interviewed her at your age and she bent a Boom with her mind in the Hudson Hotel in Manhattan. That's another story. Anyway, I (laughs) am stoked that we both stuck to the deal. And life is about honoring your word. And if I played a small part in this life, your courageous life, then I'm very, very pleased.
0: To be honest, once I got the email, it kind of for a week, I was kind of floating on cloud nine because I'm like, my conversations mean something to people. You know, I do. I talk to everyone. You know and it's kind of nice to know that like even you know obviously your conversation stuck with me but it's nice to know that my words stuck with you which is really cool dude yeah so yeah
2: oh it's nice it's what life should be about connecting with strangers it is leaning forward and taking those risks yeah you and your dog get back to your
0: forest (laughs) all right thank you so much
2: Now, to follow up on all of this, I got in touch with Arvi just a week or two ago to let him know that we were finally running this conversation. And what do you know? The plot thickens and sweetens. In our chat, Arvi, as you heard, tells me that his dream is to do something with dogs. And so cut to 2022, he started a dog hiking company with boarding and daycare on the side. There are lots of exclamation marks attached to the email where he told me this. I'm going to post the video of our conversation on my Substack membership community newsletter. If you prefer, you can watch it there and also put the details of the incredible hike that I did up in Sierra Nevada so that you can check that out and the email exchange that Avi and I had um, just recently. It's so happy making. And can I just encourage all of you listening to, well, if you have someone in your mind who you crossed paths with at some stage, maybe at a time when you were in a really open, expansive space and you'd love to know what they're up to now. Well, hunt them down. It's imperative. It's important that you do this because I think it's what life really is about. In some ways, I do this kind of crazy thing as an antidote to the horrible contracting nature of social media and other compressed forums we all feel very stuck in. To be wild and brave and curious... It brings me back to what I feel being human is meant to be about and I feel like I've got some ownership of my life again. I'm not sure how you feel. I don't know if that resonates. Perhaps it will. Feel free to flag any other characters from the book you'd like me to do a where are they now with. Uh, Flag in my Substack comments section and as I say I'll put all links in the show notes.